actual trauma. Thank you. Well, welcome back to our show in our own defense podcast. We have uh, Dr. Tarvanari today. We have uh, Dr. Jernigan Noessi, uh, and she's here helping us figure out racial trauma. Um, she's informing us in, in various levels. We've gone over the racial uh, dimensions, uh, racism as, as their dimensions. We've gone over uh, these different terminologies and how we articulate the, the types of racial trauma. Uh, and, and we're going to continue our conversation and dialogue with Dr. Noessi. Uh, Dr. Tarver? So, of course, as we know, one of the major debates that's going on right now is how people should be expressing how they feel about the injustices they are seeing. So we've been talking about trauma and the effects that trauma can have on people in the debates. And this is spanned across social media, across TV. Uh, we have seen people screenshot images and put people's contact information on there when they made responses such as all lives matter, you all don't need to be rioting, you don't need to be burning things down. Um, this is how you should be handling this. Um, you, your behavior is now negating all the work that you were trying to do with regard to justice and equality. You've erased that. You don't need to be burning things down. You need to be protesting. But then there's that other argument. Okay, so when we protested, you didn't like the way we protested. So then there were complaints about that. So can you talk to us about the different ways that we may be um, experiencing trauma, the different ways it may show up and how we're, our reactions look in terms of some of what is happening that we're seeing in various cities that have had some, what I call revolutions, I wouldn't call them rioting per se. Um, but can you just talk to us about how people are responding and for people that want to talk to their children as a follow-up, and families about how can we participate? How can we become active? What are some recommendations you may have for families to talk to their kids as about being advocates for making some changes? Sure, I mean, I, th I think as you noted, there are a variety of reactions and I am of the mindset that there's no one way necessarily um, that one should react. And I think one of my personal stance as well as my professional stance is as opposed to operating from a place of judgment, you know, necessarily, right? Um, it's, I see it as my job, I challenge when I'm teaching my students, if I don't understand something about what someone else is doing, I have to pause and ask myself what it is about their experience or perspective, right, that would inform or allow me to better understand. That's where I try um, to come from, and I, you know, I am also of the mindset that with regard to thinking about um, protesting um, and rioting, you know, when language is first of all powerful, um, but I do think that it you know, speaks to just another level of hurt. Um, another level of injustice, um, another level of folks who have been unheard for years. I also think that we are um, grossly negligent with regard to understanding um, and remembering history in terms of progress. And any movement uh, that to me has been progressive, any social movement um, is not due to folks who just kind of sat idly by and, and, and waited for someone, but through some form of protest um, is the idea. So um, I think I, I am warmed. I think on certain days, you know, sort of see that there's there's movement and to see, you know, uh, folks who are out um, of all age groups. I'm hearing, I had friends text messaging me today saying that their teenage, you know, children want to go out and want to uh, protest amidst the, you know, the and they're trying to, you know, sort of understand that. Historically, we know that if, even if we go back to the civil rights movement, right, that it was the college kind of age generation that moved forward. So again, I think history is important there, but I'd, I'd encourage us all just to not judge and to understand that we all have strengths 
with regard to what we may bring to the table. And so for some folks, they're going to be our, you know, our protesters. For some folks, they're going to be, you know, our advocates with regard to, you know, using and leveraging maybe their relative positions of power with regard to, you know, policy. We need all of those things. Um, so as opposed to, you know, telling someone what they should or should not be doing, let's look collectively at what needs to be done because no one way I think is going to, to kind of move the needle with regard to, you know, looking at, you know, racial equity um, necessarily. I will say that folks are reacting, you know, um, after being inundated, you know, really for the last couple of weeks in this, you know, kind of, again, latest wave, um, they're reacting, you know, based on seeing the video of George Floyd in particular repeatedly shown uh, without any kind of trigger warning, right? So flooded. I'm hearing parents also talk about their younger children, eight, nine, stumble across the video, even though they've tried to protect them, you know, from that imagery. And so they're forced into now conversations um, that they may have started but weren't quite prepared um, in, this, in this regard. So that inundation, you know, whether it's social media, um, general media, conversations, you know, with lots of folks is just uh, overwhelming. Uh, and in addition to that, what happens, especially when we think about, you know, yet another experience of explicit, you know, uh, racism and, um, and George Floyd in particular, you know, again, we go back to Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, right? So we've had months uh, of news stories leading up to this culmination. That is it, the cumulative effect, I think ultimately for folks um, of hearing the stories um, amidst the pandemic that has really led to this kind of peak and, and uprising where it does, it's exhausting, it is overwhelming, but that from a trauma-informed perspective, right, when we feel that there is a threat in our bodies or when our body senses that there may be a threat, and racism is one of those situations where, particularly for folks of color, um, there's constantly a heightened sense of awareness. Our bodies don't have the opportunity to, to relax and go back to what I call, you know, the place of homeostasis, where literally our organs relax and, and can be in a sense of calm. So incident after incident, um, you have to recognize that part of that fatigue is, is about the information, but it's literally about your body being in a constant state of hypervigilance, literally. Um, and it is exhausting. And so I am hearing this week from a lot of folks as a clinician and otherwise that they're not just tired, that they're exhausted, that they're bone tired, that it's hard to get out of bed, which are some of the, you know, what we know to be the symptoms and consequences that as clinicians uh, we look for for folks. Other folks are triggered, right? So I've heard folks also begin to recount their experiences with the police um, or to recount stories that they've heard. So it also brings up historical or past experiences that you personally or even those that you've heard in your family right that, that were racially traumatic and you've got this cumulative effect it's not just this incident for some it may be um, but for other folks again it really uh kind of brings up the idea of you know what are my personal experiences what have i seen again for me this uh the psychological experience as a clinician in terms of what i'm seeing when i'm working with clients is very similar to where i was you know 2014 as i said practicing and um and also experiencing and, you know, trying to navigate that piece in terms of my personal life and my professional life. And this is just, you know, um, four years later, very disappointing. So I think it's a, a wide range of emotions for folks. We're inundated with information um, at a time when, at, you know, COVID-19, when uh, the racial disparities emerging around that, you know, was already detrimental for black and brown communities. So. That's a little bit. I mean, I think if we move into the idea of how we talk to children and how we prepare them, I, you know, my argument is, you know, we know our research tells us that as infants, babies begin to track faces based on race. 
my child, my son is four. I started having conversations with him about race a long time ago. They're going to be different. Um, and so now we're talking about racism and he's getting little history lessons. But we talk about that for, with younger children in the context of, of you know, fairness and unfairness and friendship that, so that he can understand with some kind of developmentally appropriate um, accuracies with regard to um, racism. So today, in preparation for watching the, you know, the town hall on CNN with Sesame Street, we talked about skin color specifically and how you know, uh, and some individuals treat particularly brown folks. So we talked about just nuances in skin color that exist in our family, that exist in his classroom, and what that translates to, you know, for, for some folks historically, what that translated to in terms of treatment um, and how that still shows up today. He, he got it. <laughs> he can yeah. grab it as he gets older, right? Those will become more complex and more nuanced. So I think for parents, um, some tend to, you know, shy away from the conversation. Our, our, our immediate, you know, you want a reactionist you want to protect, but you're not protecting your children by having those conversations, you know, per our previous you know, question, answer piece, you know, and not having those conversations, you're right, it's actually more detrimental to the psychological and the literal well-being um, of children as they become adolescents and emerging adults uh, themselves. So those conversations need to happen early, they need to happen often, and they need to be varied in terms of what they look like and there are a lot there are many more resources you know than when i was growing up or when my parents were growing up by way of books by way of videos um by way of even um if it gets to that point uh clinicians who are aware and can assist young children adolescents and even adults and families in having those conversations and you know attempting to heal from you know significant racial uh, racially traumatic situations but i, I think um Dr. Nwesi, you, you brought up a great point when you said awareness is, is, is the answer. And, 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 you know, part of my, my awareness, part of my, my, my daily healing is my, my workout regime uh, and music. Uh, you know, it heals me um, to a degree. Uh, and I always love hip hop. I remember a song when I was a kid. Um, you know, it's like a jungle sometimes. It makes me wonder how I keep from going under, you know, ha, 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 ha. And, you know, when the when the, when the lyricist, when he wrote that or when he spoke that, that it, it, it was too broad, it was too big for me as a kid and I didn't understand it. And it was like you said, as I, as I grew up, I became more aware of that it is. It's like a jungle sometimes. It makes you wonder how I keep from going under. And in this 401 years of us being in this experiment uh, called America in 1619, and here we are 401 years um, later, um, it's still like a jungle sometimes. It makes me wonder how I keep from going under. And, and what, um, there's a totem pole of racism in America. People talk a white man, a white woman, and, and Asians and Spanish, all this foolishness. Mm -hmm. But in that, the, the bottom tier, it, it, as they try to impress upon people, is uh, sometimes a, a black man and the only person on, on this continent, in this country, who has experienced it in America, the United States of America, who has experienced racism um, more than a black man and experienced this trauma, in my opinion, and again, opinion-based, uh, more than a black man uh, who, has, who has been harmed physically, emotionally, financially, economically, spiritually, more than the black man, the, the only person who's been unprotected, even by her own men, can't protect her, is the black woman. And I've seen uh, in, in, in all of this horrible stuff that's happening, there's been 
three bright spots that I'm so proud of and I've just been so impressed with. Um, you know, in the COVID situation, we watched Cuomo and he was really talented. He did great work. And, and the governor of, uh, of California, uh, th those guys did great work and I was impressed with that. But three bright spots has come through uh, this and that, those bright spots are Mayor uh, Latoya Cantrell of New Orleans, Louisiana, Mayor Bottoms of Atlanta, Georgia, and Mayor, uh, Mayor um, uh, Mario uh, Bowser of, of Washington, D.C. These three women have just exhibited pure and natural leadership, the art and the science of leadership, the art mm -hmm. and the science of caring for humans and making sure that these humans remain safe and valued. And, and, and I've seen just a powerful moment. It, it, some people call it petty. I just found it so powerful and it just, my shoulders, like with that exhaustion that we're talking about, my shoulders are tense. That's what I mean by exhaustion. But my shoulders came down when I saw her take that street name and rename it Black Lives Matter Plaza and, and right there at St. John's Church. When she did that and, and, and had it painted Black Lives Matter on the street in case people couldn't understand what we're talking about, in case you don't understand, you can't hear the words that are coming out of my mouth. What was it about that that was her exclamation of, of, of just exhaling this truth? Like, what? It, why did it feel like just, why did it feel so powerful to me? I mean, I think it, it goes back to what you said in terms of, you know, being uh, younger and what it meant for folks to have you right in, in the face of an existence um, and a nation that they knew not have the same sentiment to tell you to be proud and to appreciate right yourself your skin color everything you know that and everything that's in it and I think in the face of this you know kind of up rising um, in, a, uh, in essence nationwide um, when we truly I mean I think there's there are protests that are happening there are also you know anti-protesters and folks who are inciting violence so we're really a, a very divided nation you've got the you know mayor of DC saying we're gonna not just paint a little sign right this is the, the entire street and 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 for everyone to see so you can't miss it and to be unapologetic about it and to be in the position to be able to do it, I think is what allows for just that sense of pride, right? Um, it's, it sends a very powerful message, right, to in the nation's capital where we have the White House that may arguably have very different sentiment, right, or has not really spoken out in ways that some of the mayors or some of the other political leaders have in an effort to recognize this as an issue or as a problem. Um, and it, you know, moment of direct resistance, quite frankly, resistance to oppression, right and saying i have the ability to do this i'm going to put this here for any and all to see and it's going to be adjacent to um the most powerful house you know from a political standpoint i suppose um in in the country um and i'm not going to ask permission right for you know for the president of the united states this is something that we're going to do so that everyone can see it um and i do think that that for a lot of folks who may be struggling whether they know it or you know from an internalized standpoint gives folks permission to say yes right so if she can do that right then maybe i can you know you know say that a little bit louder you know and and really hold on to that and to be unapologetic in ways that i proclaim that to other folks around me i'm not waiting for permission for other people to tell me that black lives matter i know that they do and here it is and do you dr tarver do, do you agree do you believe that like this feeling that i had this exuberation this 
I mean, I, I said it attention. I, I saluted it. I was just like, it just, it felt so right. Finally, someone gets it. Do, do you agree? The power of affirmation. Yeah. I, I can't, I can't underscore enough how important it is for someone to tell us that we matter. Um, because this whole movement about these injustices is because other people perceive that we don't, that we don't have worth, that we don't have value, um, that we are beneath, that we are less than, that we, we deserve the outcome of, of what, they're, what they're doing to us because of something inherently wrong and bad about us, something that's deficient um, and defunct about who we are as a people. So when someone says to you, hey, that thing you believe deep in here, but, but you struggle to find validation in, like, here you go. In, in, in all of the, because when I tell you I have been exhausted and that gave me joy, mm -hmm. one, it gave me joy because it's in yellow, <laughs> <laughs> right? So because there's always this darkness that people associate with black and brown people, like that we're just blights on, uh, plights of, uh, uh, plights on humanity. That we are, um, that our plight is just ugly, that we have no, we have not contributed anything of work. And so to see that bright yellow that, that uh, reminds us of who we really are um, as, as creators of this country, uh, and, and particularly there in D.C., um, D.C. was built on us. So to see that reminder that you are light, you are not, you are not darkness, you are not shame, you are not inadequacies, you are, you are light sunshine here on on this road so when it's when it's cloudy outside you can still see you matter and even if the streets are covered in snow you can look up on that sign and you can still see that you matter um, and that more importantly no one else will be able to tell you that you don't because mm. now it is for all to see and so there's not a black lives matter and then underneath it white lives matter too all lives matter um, it is simply that Black Lives Matter and it's existing there on its own with no one questioning that it belongs there. And so, yes, I absolutely agree that that was, that was a win for us. We needed that win. Um, and I'm very thankful for the leadership of the mayor who, who saw fit to make us believe in ourselves, even in the midst of all of this that is going on. Because I know we questioned it. Um, to remind us like, hey, yeah, what you thought of what your parents, what your church, what your, what your family members talk to you about is true. You do matter. So yes, absolutely. You know, I, I, I think that we're so lucky to be able to have here, as I, as I stated in that, that you know, watching um, African-American um, women lead in a time of crisis, double crisis, double pandemic uh, that, that we're in, um, these women have come to the forefront and says, okay, I'll go, I'll lead, I'll stand here in the cut and protect you and your work. And I've never been so impressed. Black women have held led us the whole time. Uh, so it shouldn't be uh, that surprising to me, but I'm telling you, I've never been more impressed. So uh, this is a uh, uh, another episode of In Our Own Defense podcast. Uh, we are um, going to take a quick break and we're going to come back we have so many more exciting questions. Dr. Tarver and I have the luxury of having Dr. Noesi here with us today discussing racial trauma and all of the events that are happening today. We have a few more questions for her, and we're excited that you're here to listen to us. So thank you, and we'll be right back.